Our scripture reading this morning is Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, to the church in Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody? Um, good to be back with you. As Thomas said, we were in Orlando for the last week. It was miserably hot. Um, so it's good to be back in dark, cold, rainy summertime Northern Ireland. Um, Lucas is in Washington, D.C. still. Um, he's preaching at Redemption Hill this morning our longest kind of supporting church. Um, so pray for him. Uh, Andrew is still, he's in Paris right now um, on holiday with his family, which he deserves. Um, so pray for him as well. Um, I, the, tomorrow, I'm officially like on holiday with my family for two weeks. So um, if, if you're waiting on like an email or something, sorry um, <laughs> that it's taken so long and it might be a couple of weeks still. But uh, love you. Thanks for letting us uh, go away. Um, yeah, um, if you haven't yet opened your Bibles to Revelation 2, um, I, I want to say this to you. Um, I had a bit of like an introduction we're going to skip because we have a lot to get through. Um, but this, we've, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and now we are looking at these seven letters to seven churches uh, in Revelation, all these things from Jesus. Um, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, so let me remind you of something, that if you're here, and apologies if anything drips out of my face as well, um, 
I've had a bit of a sinus infection for a few weeks, and my ear's blocked up, and um, so I might sniff a lot, but um, back to what I was about to say. Um, if you're a Christian here this morning, let me remind you that you've been saved by grace. You've been saved by grace. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's because Jesus chose you to be one of his followers. Um, it's because he loved you uh, before the foundations of the world. Um, his love fell on you. He said, I want you. I'm going to choose you to follow me. Um, his grace drew you to him, opened your eyes, let you see the, the beauty of him, the glorious beauty of, of the Son of God in this word, um, and he chose you by grace. Um, I want to say that to you to re- remind you of that because there, there's, we've been, Jesus is concerned in his Sermon on the Mount, especially the conclusion, and he's concerned in these seven letters of, of, the, Reve- of the churches in Revelation about your obedience, uh, about your endurance to the end. So we talk, we've been talking a lot about the way we live our life, which is really, really important. It's, it's the fruit of his grace in your life, um, but I wanted to remind you of that. Keep that in your heart, keep that in your mind. Uh, as we kind of make our way through these. Um, his, his emphasis is on the faithfulness and the purity of his church. Um, can I pray for, for us before we dig in again? Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for <laughs> all you do in our lives. Uh, we thank you for your love for us. Um, that's hard for us to comprehend. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, that you gave to us uh, to open our hearts, to, to cut us open and reveal what's in the inside, uh, to um, in, enlighten us, um, to um, make us holy. Uh, we ask for your help this morning, Spirit. We ask that you would, um, again, open our eyes um, the way that only you can do so that we can see Jesus more clearly. Um, think of what John the Baptist says that we must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Um, feel that this morning. Um, um, Jesus be made big this morning. Amen. So let's dig, uh, dig in here from verse 18. Uh, this is the fourth church that we're looking at, the church uh, in Thyatira. Uh, before we start, I want to ask you this question. Um, do you consider yourself to be a tolerant person? Are you a tolerant person? Um, I, I hope your answer, as you're thinking through various scenarios where you might have to have tolerance, I hope your answer to that question is, it depends. It, it depends on, on what you're asking me to be tolerant of. Um, tolerance is one of the defining features in our culture these days. Uh, you'll experience this in your workplace. Uh, you'll experience it on social media. You'll experience it from the government. You'll experience it in your own families. Um, there seems to be this concerted effort to make tolerance one of the highest virtues of our day. And, and we try to participate in this, uh, but it often breaks down quite quickly, doesn't it? Um, because it depends on what you're asking me to be tolerant of. Um, there's a lot of things that, that we should be tolerant of. Um, that annoying coworker that comes in every day and complains, be, be tolerant of that person. Um, you're... Your sibling who chews with their mouth open, be, be tolerant of that person. Um, slow drivers, that's one for me. Be tolerant of slow drivers. Um, 
sometimes your, your own family members. These are, we should be striving towards tolerance. We should be patient with each other. We should be gentle. We should be loving. I'm realizing that uh, none of those people are people I, I work with. The people, there's no one in my office that uh, is complaining all the time or chews their mouth open or drives silly. Um, but there are things that, that what about racism? Uh, what about injustice? What about child slave labor? Um, the, the question is, well, what are you tolerating? Um, should that be tolerated? And, and if it should be tolerated, uh, what actions should we take? And really, in the context of the church, knowing when to be tolerant and when uh, not to be tolerant, it, it's not always easy. Um, but as the church, and as we learned from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're called to exercise discernment. Uh, under his lordship. We're called to know when to be tolerant and when not to be tolerant. And we see in, in Jesus' letter here that, that Sharon just read that Thyatira was an overly tolerant church. They, they found themselves in a difficult context with, with difficult choices to make, just like all churches will, will find themselves in at some point. And, and, and their general posture was one of, of non-confrontation and, and tolerance. And we see that Jesus has a lot to say to them about this. Um, this is the, the longest of the seven letters, probably the most difficult. Um, I want to give you a bit of context about the city of Thyatira. Uh, one scholar commented, it was the least known, the least important, the least remarkable of these seven cities, and um, not the least remarkable of, of the seven churches, okay? because Jesus sees all of his churches as, as his bride, they're, they're, they're special to him. He, he loves them. So whether it's a church of 10 people or a church of 10,000 people, uh, it doesn't make any difference to them, to him. Uh, he finds each of us beautiful and lovely, lovely enough to die for. Um, the number of people in a church doesn't matter to him. What matters to him is their, is their holiness, is their faithfulness to him. Faithfulness is the mark of a beautiful bride. It's what makes a, be- a bride beautiful is, is her faithfulness. And that's what Jesus is after. And again, that's why he's writing these letters. Uh, Thyatira seemed to be, is a bit of a working city. Uh, it was a military outpost. It was known for its, its commerce uh, of wool, of linen, leather work, bronze work. It's famous for its purple dye. So you remember Lydia in Acts 16, who Paul led to Christ? Uh, she was a seller of purple from Thyatira. And it, it was, it's known, it was known for these networks of, of of guilds or like trade unions, and so it being this kind of commerce trade city, life centered around these these trade guilds that you'd be part of, and being part of your guild was really important to being successful in the city, and these groups, they, they traded together, they negotiated together, they socialized, and they even worshipped together, so each guild would have its patron deity and they would feast together uh, in honor of this deity. They'd, they'd have seasonal festivities. Uh, they, they would, these festivities would usually include sexual immorality and, and promiscuity. And so you can imagine in this city where these, this trade city with these trade guilds and being part of these trade guilds, um, how difficult it would be to be a Christian in this, in this city, um, being part of these guilds. You'd be you'd be forced with some serious choices to make, either to, to join in uh, with, with the, the culture, join in with these, um, these festivities, 
join in with the feasts, eating of food, sacrificed to their, to their idols, the sexual immorality, or you could abstain, you could, you could remain faithful and obedient to, to the way of Jesus, but that would risk almost certainly um, social and financial penalties. Um, and, and, and many of them, their, their fear of ostracism, uh, their fear of financial ruin and loss drove their actions and earned them this letter of, of rebuke from the Lord. Um, like I said, it's the fourth church, the fourth, le- fourth letter. This is the halfway point. Um, and, and each of you, sh- you should be familiar by now with the, um, with the outline of each letter. So each letter has these four segments or points that we're trying to ex- extrapolate. There's the authoritative introduction. So Jesus says, this is who's writing the letter. This is who I am. And you have the all-knowing evaluation. So each church uh, gets a, some, most churches get a criticism and a commendation. And some just get a commendation. Some just get a criticism. Um, the church today gets both. Um, thirdly, you have the appropriate exhortation after that or the encouragement. Uh, um, and lastly, you have the, the awe-inspiring conclusion or this attention-grabbing grabbing benediction. Uh, let's look at the first one, the authoritative introduction of verse 18. He says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Um, there's some introduction. He, he, Jesus introduces himself with three main points. Uh, firstly, he calls himself the Son of God. Um, this is the only time he, he uses this title um, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and it, it points to him as this, this long-awaited Davidic king that was promised to David long ago, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where, where God makes a covenant with, with David, and, and he tells him that, that there would be one from his family line that, would, that, would, um, that, that God would establish as king forever, that his throne would be established forever. And, and, and this is him. Jesus says, I, I am that one that's, that's come, and my, my kingdom is, is going to be established forever. I'm the, I'm the son of God. Um, I also think that this it really establishes his authority and his authenticity because he's, he's contrasting himself with Apollo, which was the, um, the main kind of deity in, in Thyatira. Apollo was uh, the son of Zeus, which is like the king of the gods. Uh, and, and Jesus is saying, no, I, I'm the son of the one true God. I, I, I'm, I'm not like Apollo, uh, who's to be revered as this like man-made deity. I'm, I'm the one true son that's, that, who deserves to be feared and revered over your man-made gods. Jesus calls himself the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and who was and is, is to come. He calls himself the Almighty, eternally reigning king. Secondly, he says, uh, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, this speaks to his omniscience. His eyes are penetrating. They're, they're perfectly perceptive. He, he sees all and he knows all. And this is why he's able to send these letters, because he, he sees all actions. He sees all thoughts. He sees inside your heart to your emotions. Daniel Atkins writes in his commentary, burning indignation and purifying judgment blaze from these divine eyes that continually watch all that is happening. Um, this is both kind of terrifying and comforting, this, this all-seeing eye. 
And, but I think it's important for us to, to understand it as good news. And so Jesus, who sees and knows all actions and thoughts, who's able to judge fairly, is such hope for us. It's terrifying, but, but I don't know about you, but I, I want a God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Who, who In verse 23, we say, he says, he searches mind and heart, and he gives each according to their works. He judges fairly. And with this sight, he, he gives encouragement, and he also gives a strong rebuke. Uh, thirdly, uh, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Uh, so remember, Thyatira was known for its, its metal workers, particularly its, its bronze work. Uh, but this, this also speaks to, to Jesus' strength and his splendor, to, to the strength of his judgment. He, he's, the, he's the true son of God. He sees and he knows all. Uh, he judges perfectly and, and, and justly, but we also see his judgment is firm and it's final. And, and so in contrast to, to the church in Thyatira, Jesus will not hesitate to declare right from wrong, and his judgments will be powerful and perfect. Jesus is not to be toyed with or underestimated. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you see how that plays out here in Thyatira. And our, what you see is our, our sin and our tolerance of sin, it's always built on, on the foundation of a low view of who God is. And we sin because God is too small in our hearts. Like Jesus, he did come as, as a suffering servant. It's important to understand his, his lowliness. But oftentimes we fail to remember that our God is a consuming fire, that, that, he's, that he's holy. And the same Jesus that came and, he, and endured the cross as this suffering servant, he's also alive today. He's reigning on the throne and he's returning to bring perfect judgment. I wonder what you believe about that introduction. Do you believe that, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God? Do you believe that he has eyes like a flame of fire, seeing everything, all actions, all thoughts, all emotions? Do you believe that he has feet like burnished bronze, his splendor and his strength is unmatched? This is how Jesus introduces himself. It's huge, isn't it? Um, is your view of Jesus this dramatic, this powerful and breathtaking? Or is he just like a, a friendly neighbor who has good advice for you from time to time? At church, when we, when we view him properly, when we esteem him highly, it changes the way we live our lives. Uh, secondly, let's look at uh, his all-knowing evaluation. So like I said, Jesus has both commendation and a criticism for Thyatira. Um, verse 19, let's look at the commendation. He says, because he has these, this, this, because of who he is, eyes like flame of fire, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So Jesus, he commends the church in Thyatira for five things, for, for works, for their love, for the faith, for the service, for the patient endurance. And really, you, you see that, that the church in Thyatira is kind of the mirror opposite of the church in Ephesus. And the Ephesus held fast to the truth. Ephesus was, was, was firm. They were strong on, on doctrine. This is what the Bible says is true. But we read in Thyatira that they, that they had lost their love. 
Um, and, and Thyatira was, was the opposite, that they were, they were strong in their love and their service to God and, and to people, but they had lost their, their love of, of truth. Paul instructs us in Ephesians 4.15 to, to speak the truth in love. Um, and this is important that we need, a, we need to hold fast to both. Um, Ephesus lacked love. Thyatira lacked truth. A, a healthy church has, has both. And notice he says the, that their latter works exceed the first. This is a good thing. So we see they were doing good, and they were apparently growing in doing good things. And Jesus says, like, well done for this. Like, keep going, keep growing, keep, keep loving and, and, and uh, serving. Don't stop. And I, I love this commendation. I love that in verse 19 he says, I know. Like, that's, this is the, the hope and the, the beauty of, the, of having a God with eyes of fiery flames. And that he, he sees us. He knows you. He, he acknowledges the good that you do. So take, take encouragement in that, that each and every one of you, God sees the good things that you do. Even though other people may not, he sees them and he acknowledges them. Well done, keep going. We see even in his, in his correction, and in, in, his, in his criticism, he also encourages his church. He's so kind to us, he, he's so loving. That, like they, they have serious problems that, that, that need to be addressed, but those, those problems don't keep Jesus from seeing and commending the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. We often, we often don't do this, do, do we? You often jump straight to like, hey, here's what, what's going wrong. This is what you need to do better. Jesus is like, no, I'm going to encourage you first. Here's the good things that you're doing. He's, he's, he's a good Lord. Then he moves on to address the, 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 really the spiritual sickness that has impaired the health of this church. And look at the criticism starting in verse 20. It says, but, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So, uh, you have a lot of things happening here. Jesus is addressing a lot of things in, in his letter. And you do have people who are being drawn away. And you have, you have some who are um, participating or indulging in, in sexual morality, eating food sacrificed to idols, the things of their trade guilds. Um, but as a whole, the, the primary sin that Jesus is addressing here is, is not the participation in sin, but the tolerance of it. I have this against you, that, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And it, to me, it actually seems that maybe most of the church wasn't participating in the sin. Possibly most weren't following Jezebel. Like on the outside, you read that, and, and on the outside, they, it looks like a healthy church. And you, you see their love and their faith and their service and their patient endurance. But Jesus, with eyes of fire, he, he sees their hearts. And in their hearts, he saw people that lacked severely in their view of his lordship. They had a low view of who he was. And this low view of Christ's lordship led them to tolerating this leader, this woman he calls Jezebel, who's teaching and persuading people into sin. Notice in verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. That's a really important verse 
Because you read this, and Jesus has some, some hard things to say. He, he's obviously against this person. He has extremely strong things to say to her, and his judgment is firm and full. But it's important to know that he doesn't start there. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And that's true here. Jesus is perfectly patient. He calls us to repentance. His call to repentance is for all. It's for everyone. And he gives us time to repent. But he also takes the purity of his bride, the church, extremely serious. I gave her time to repent. It it indicates that possibly the the leaders, the elders of the church had, had maybe started Uh, the process of church discipline uh, with her. Maybe had gone to her and addressed uh, this sin, but had failed to follow through with it. Um, I want to say three things about ecclesiology. So ecclesiology is just the the doctrine of the church. It explains how we, because of our ecclesiology, this is how we operate and function as a church. Um, Firstly, you can see here why it's important to have good, godly, qualified elders. Um, elders are meant to, to feed and nurture and protect the church. And all through the New Testament, you see these, these warnings uh, of, of wolves, uh, of false teachers who, who come into the church. So Jesus warns of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of these wolves, these false teachers. And Paul tells us this, Peter tells us this, that there will be false teachers. There will be wolves in your church. Watch out for them. This is, the, this is the job of the elders. And this is Paul's exhortation to the, to the, to the elders of the, Ephes, of the Ephesian church in Acts 20, 28, where he tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. This is Jesus I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, to draw them, to draw the disciples after them. And Hebrews 13 says that that these leaders, these elders, will one day have to give an account to Jesus for the way they shepherded the flock. That's a terrifying thought um, for for elders. Um, The role shouldn't be taken lightly. Pay careful attention to the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, under shepherd, temporary shepherds, caretakers of the church. And it's not their church, it's God's church. It's Jesus's. He, he purchased it with his blood, with his own life, he died for them. Be on guard for these fierce wolves looking to rip them apart, Jesus says. Church, let's make sure we have godly, qualified elders who stand firm for the truth and get rid of the wolves in the church who are seeking to rip it apart. And it seems they might have gone to this woman and, and urged her to stop, and called what she did evil, but she refused. And then what happened was they, they tolerated her. And Jesus rebukes them for that tolerance. So you see the importance of having good godly elders who stand firm for the truth, who address and deal with false teachers the way Jesus instructs us to uh, in, in Matthew 18. We're going to get to that. Secondly, uh, you see the importance of, of church membership in this passage. 
Um, so here at Village, as, as you heard from our announcements, we uh, practice covenant membership, and where, where those who, who want to call this their home, they come together and officially enter into covenant membership between one another and the Lord, um, where we become members of Village Church Belfast. Uh, we're submitting to God's word, submitting to our church's le- leadership, being unified together in Christ, calling each other uh, to, to live lives of, of holiness and obedience to Jesus, calling each other to live lives of service to Christ. And we believe that you see this practice and, and played out in the scriptures. These believers making a clear commitment to their local church, saying, you know, we're going to enter into this thing. We're going we're gonna, to fully in. And we're going to, we are committed to, to holding our lives to a standard of walking according to God's word. And we're going to hold each other accountable to this as well. When you enter into covenant membership, it means we, we, we say, this is how the Bible tells us we're going to live our lives and we're going to hold each other accountable to that. So the beauty of it is that when that drift happens in your life, and probably for each and every one of you, that drift will happen in your life. When, when your life starts to, to, to look not like the way of Jesus, church membership means that other members jump in front of you and say, wait, like stop, stop what you're doing. The, the road that you're walking down leads to destruction. Repent, come back, come back to Jesus, come back to his flock. We tell each, of each other this out of love for each other and out of care for the souls and for the glory of Jesus and his church. I, I want to quickly just read you a few things from our membership covenant. There, there's a, in our covenant, there's, there's a couple parties. There's the member that's entering into membership, and there's the church who are, who are promising things to them. So a covenant is, is not a one-way thing. It's a, it's a two-way thing. There's two people involved. And so, Village Church making a covenant to you, and you making a covenant to the church. It goes both ways. Um, I'm not going to read all of them, but uh, commitments that the church makes to its members. Uh, we covenant that your elders and your deacons, the leaders of the church, will meet the criteria assigned to them in the scriptures. So, none of this stuff, we're just going to be like, oh, this would be a good idea. It all comes from the Bible. Um, 1 Timothy, 1, uh, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5 gives us, this is, make sure your leaders look like this, and we covenant to do that. Um, we covenant to seek God's will for our church's community to the best of our ability as we study the scriptures and follow the spirit. We covenant to care for you, to seek your growth as a disciple of Christ, in part by equipping you for service, praying for you regularly. Uh, we, we covenant to, to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of scripture. We covenant to be on guard against false teachers, taking that seriously. We covenant to exercise church discipline when necessary. We're going to get to that in a second. We covenant to, to set an example and join you in fulfilling the duties of church members. So uh, in, the, in the church, it's not, there's not a hierarchy. Hey, you guys need to do this, and we're going to make sure you do that. No, we all join in together and, and, and hold each other accountable to this. And then you have commitments that the member makes to the church. I'm not going to read all of them. It says, I have read and understood the village doctrinal statement and will not be divisive with regard to its teaching. This is a... This is a kind of a nuanced one. So there are certain things that you have to be, believe fully to be part of this church. You have to be firm on, on, on this is what it means to be a Christian. Here's what the gospel is. And there's, there's other things that we have members that, that might not agree with every tiny thing 
that, that, the, that the leadership um, settles on, but this says that I won't be divisive in regard to, to its teaching. So you don't have to agree with every tiny thing in, in, in our um, doctrinal statement. We have to not be divisive in regard to its teaching. I will submit to the authority of Scripture as the final arbiter in all issues. I will submit to the authority of the leaders of the church, esteeming them highly in love, and will be diligent to persevere in unity and peace. I will maintain a close relationship with the Lord Jesus through regular Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, the practice of spiritual disciplines. My relationship will be evident through the participation, the weekly worship services, communion, involvement in an MC, service, life that glorifies Jesus. I'm, I'm fully in. I agree by God's, God's grace to walk in holiness as an act of worship to Jesus Christ. It's not everything in the covenant, but you, hopefully you start to see the, the beauty of it and the purpose of it. Hopefully the, the beauty and the importance of, of committing to this, to holding each other accountable. Don't, don't, don't drift from the Lord. Can I say um, gently to those of you who, who have been around for a while, who, who may functionally call village your home, but have not entered into to that church, that, that covenant membership, um, can I gently encourage you to, to rethink this stuff? I think this text shows us that there's, there's a real danger in trying to live the life of Jesus while at the same time keeping the church just at arm's length. Church membership is meant to prevent Jezebels from rising up and pulling people away from Christ. Church membership is meant to, to, to keep you from falling away. Can I gently encourage you to enter into this covenant? I invite your brothers and sisters to, to have a say in your life, to hold you accountable, to live a life of holiness that glorifies King Jesus. Church membership puts you in the position of being able to hold others accountable too. And all in all, this helps us to avoid tolerating Jezebels like Thyatira, um, it helps prevent false teachers from rising up and from being drawn away. Um, it has eternal consequences. That's why it's so important. Um, I wonder if you believe the, the, the seriousness of this all. Do you see the seriousness of the call to protect the flock, protect the sheep from wolves, from false teachers like this Jezebel? Paul warns, fierce wolves will come in and rip apart your flock. They'll draw the sheep away. This is why we take membership, which includes church discipline, serious. This is why the church in Thyatira should have taken church discipline more serious. Because they had a ravenous wolf come in, ripping the sheep apart, drawing people away from the truth, drawing people away from Jesus down the path that leads to destruction. And so lastly, uh, we, we see uh, the importance of, of, of church discipline as Jesus describes this in Matthew 18, uh, I won't go into all of the details, but church discipline has two main things about it. Firstly, it's, it's restorative, and it's also protective. So it's, it's the, the purpose of it is to restore a sheep that's gone astray. It, it, it's a loving thing. It's not an easy thing. I've had to walk through this, and it's, it's probably the hardest thing uh, that a church elder will have to do but calling people who are drifting away, walking down that road to destruction, back to repentance, back to obedience is the most loving thing. Come back to the flock. Come back to Jesus. He's the only way. He's, he's, he's the, the gate to this hard road that leads to life. 
So it's restorative in that way. It's compassionate. It's gracious, just like Jesus is. But it's also protective. It's meant to protect the flock. It's meant to protect the church. So Jesus is slow to anger. He's compassionate. But we see he's also fiercely serious about the protection of his bride, about the purity of his bride. And, and we are called to, be, to take that seriously as well. And, and this is the fault that Jesus has with the church in Thyatira, that they were tolerating this false teacher who was drawing people away from him. Jesus is saying, you, you, should, have, you should have taken care of the situation. You should have excluded her. Get, get rid of this woman, this self-declared prophetess. Why? Because she's drawing people away from me. Protect my flock. He says, I gave her time to repent. He's gracious, he's kind, he's patient. But she refuses to repent. It's time to stop tolerating her, Jesus says. She's not one of my people. In fact, her actions show that she hates my people. She hates me. Notice he calls her, her Jezebel. I doubt her real name was Jezebel, but so last week, uh, Nick taught, he showed that, well, I think he showed this, that um, the, the Nicolaitans, who were this false teachers, this group of false teachers, um, Jesus likens them to this Old Testament character, Balaam. And, and, and here he does it again. He likens this, this false teacher uh, to the Old Testament character, Jezebel. And so go read the story of Jezebel sometime, but basically she was an outsider, um, someone who did not long belong to the people of God, and she came in, she infiltrated the people of God and led them astray. She led them into idolatry. And just like the Old Testament Jezebel, this Jezebel in Thyatira was against God and his church. She, she was an enemy, she was an outsider. And we know that she was because she proved it to be true. Because in verse 21, our kind and patient and gracious Jesus gives her, he tells us that he gave her time to repent, but she refused. And as we established already, Jesus isn't just some sweet hippie. It's all good if you don't want to, if you don't want to repent. We'll just get along. No, he's, he's a consuming fire. His feet like burnished bronze, and he takes the purity of his church seriously. You don't mess with Jesus' bride. If you come in and you start leading people away, he says there are consequences. If for those who refuse this call to repentance, there are consequences. And in verse 23 to 22 to 23, Jesus declares what he will do with Jezebel and his servants who indulge in sin with her. They'll be judged unless they repent. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of, their, of her works, and I will strike her children dead. So again, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love because he's warning them here. He's calling them to repentance but basically, we see that, that there are two families here. There are two children. There, there are God's children, and there are Jezebel's children. And, and the way that you can tell whose children is whose is by seeing who repents. That, that's how you tell. 
God's children will repent. Jezebel's will not. And this is how you can tell who is a true disciple of Jesus. Who's a, tr- who's a real follower? Repentance. It's, it's, the, it's the fruit of repentance that John the Baptist says that Jesus is looking for in, in, in Matthew chapter 3. This turning away from sin. Those who belong to Jesus repent of sin. It's really, it's really that simple. I wonder whose child you are today. If, if you belong to Jesus, if, if, if you are a child of God, your life will be marked by repentance. <laughs> Jeremiah 25.5 says, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you. I love that. Do not go after other gods and serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of their hands. Then I will do you no, no harm. This, this life of repentance is, is what the life of the one who conquers to the end looks like. He keeps saying this phrase in each of these letters. It's repentance over and over again. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. Like the old hymn that we sang today, my heart is it's prone to wander. It's, it's prone to leave the God I love. I don't know about you, but that's my heart. Every day, it's prone to to stop following Jesus, to do my own way, to serve myself rather than him. But Romans 2, 4 says that his kindness leads to repentance. He, He kindly calls you back. But it's important that you respond to that kind call. Again, Jesus isn't isn't a, just a humble servant. He's the son of God. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. He's a consuming fire who takes the purity and the faithfulness of his bride seriously. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who follow her, who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. This isn't her, her literal children. It's those who follow after her. So those who refuse the call to repentance, who decide to worship false gods instead of the one true God. The consequences are serious. This, this, this language is serious. Uh, Eugene Peterson pra- paraf- paraphrases this verse, the bastard offspring of their idol whoring I'll kill. I, I don't know how to sugarcoat that. I think we're forced to just take Jesus at his word here because he takes the purity and the faithfulness of his bride seriously. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love, but he also judges firmly. And as we see in verse 23, thankfully, he judges fairly. It says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works, according to the way that you live your life. He's, he's fair and he's perfect. That's really good news. Let's look at his exhortation in verses 24 to 25. It says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, 
To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. But to the rest of you, those, those who have repented, those, those who don't follow this false teacher, who are staying true, who are staying obedient to me, those of you who are my children, I don't lay on you any other burden. Hold fast. Stay true. Cling on to what you have. I think what we have is the gospel. He's saying, hold true to this until I come. I'm coming back for you. Church, Jesus is so good, isn't he? He's so kind. He's so encouraging. He, he reminds us of good things. It's just, we need to hear this encouragement. He's loving and he's compassionate to his people. This letter's wild, isn't it? Like, it, it, it captures such a wide view of, of the character, of the attributes of, of Jesus, which, which we, we have a hard time understanding all of who he is. Like, some of you might be sitting here thinking, which Jesus is it? Is, is it? is it firm judgment Jesus with his tribulation and death, or is it tender and compassionate Jesus with his encouragement and his exhortations? The, the answer is both. You see, his, his attributes, they never change. He's always the same. He's not sometimes loving and compassionate and then sometimes firm and, 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 and purifying judge. He's, he's always loving. He's always gracious. He's always compassionate. While at the exact same time, he's always holy. He's always judge. Jesus is consistent and perfect in each and every one of those attributes. What's on display in this letter is his holy compassion. It's his holy compassion. A, a, a holy compassion, it refuses to take sin lightly, but looks on those who are walking with him and tenderly says, I'm coming for you. Keep going. Don't compromise. Don't be lukewarm. Don't follow me only when it's culturally convenient. Hold fast to what you have. Why? Because I'm coming back soon. This brings us to the awe-inspiring conclusion. Verse 26. Really, verse 25. 25's kind of in both of those. It says, verse 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Jesus exhorts us to, to hold fast because he's coming for us. And he tells us what it means to hold fast in verse 26. He, he identifies the one who holds fast as the one who conquers to the end. It's the one who, who, who keeps his works until the end. And the word, the word for works here is the Greek word, Greek word erga. And it means it's a task given to an employee. It's here's your task, here's your mission, 
that I'm giving you, I want you to keep my, keep my word, keep what I've given you to the very end. And, and, and to these ones who remain faithful, he gives two gifts. Um, first, that he gives authority, and he gives the morning star. The first one, um, th- this authority that he gives to his faithful people, it has a bit of mystery around it. I, I, don't, I don't fully understand it, to be honest with you, which is okay. Um, we're not going to know exactly what, what this is going to be. But this authority he gives to his faithful people is like the authority that he received from his father. Um, it, it's, it's a direct reference. Go read Psalm 2 sometime this week. It's, it's littered with, um, with this letter to the church in Thyatira. Um, in Psalm 2, this messianic king, Jesus, received from the Lord the authority to bring all nations under his rule. So Psalm 2, 8 to 9 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with an iron rod and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, just like this says. So I don't know exactly what it's going to look like to receive this authority from Jesus. Um, I I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like to rule alongside Jesus. But but I want it. (laughs) I'm, I'm excited about it. Don't get lost in what exactly it's going to be. Get the main point. The main point is if you want to rule with Jesus in the future, you must remain faithful in the present. If you want to rule with Jesus in the future, you must remain faithful in the present. The second thing he he gives to his people who remain faithful to the end is the morning star. We're nearly done. What's, what's the, this morning star we're given? In, in, way back in Numbers 24, there was, a, there was this prophecy of, of one who would come, of one who would, who would arise from, out of Israel to, to conquer the nations. And that it says, I see him, but, but not now. And I, I, I behold him, but, but he's not near. He's, he's coming. He's in the future. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And at the very end of the Bible, in the last chapter, Revelation 22, Jesus reveals who that star is, and I think you all should get it by now. Revelation 22:16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the church. I am the root. I am the descendant of David the bright morning star. Jesus is the morning star. Those who remain faithful to the end, he gives them himself. Church, if we hold fast to the gospel, if we keep his word to the end, we get Jesus himself and all his fullness and all his glory. Isn't that amazing? This is our greatest reward the assurance of Christ's presence. I don't know about you, but I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with him because he's better than anything else. He's worth the cost now. The Christians in Thyatira, um, they had a decision to make. To go along with the flow of the culture, to assimilate into worldliness, or to stay true to God's word. 
You see, it's, it's important for them, it's important for us to, to realize that the reward of Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. It's, it's worth the ostracism. It's worth the, the possible social and financial penalties. It, it's it, the, the, the ruin, that, the temporary ruin that might come along with faithfulness of Jesus is worth it. Because he's better than all riches. He's better than, than the, the popularity now. He's better than the, than the success now. He's better than the comfort now. He's better than the security now. This reward is is great. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus gives us this picture of the end, this um, the the picture of of judgment day when we'll stand in front of him and, and give an account. And he says something terrifying. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom but the one who does the will of my Father. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church, hold fast. Stay true. Keep his word until the end. Be faithful because the reward is worth it. Let's not tolerate the things that Jesus opposes. Let's, let's call the things that Jesus calls sin, sin. Let, let's love the things that Jesus loves. Let's, let's have a love for people. Let's have a love for truth. So that in the end, Jesus won't say, depart from me. Let's say, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did it. You held fast. You kept my word. You remain faithful. You conquered. And he'll welcome us in and we'll receive all the blessings and promises of Jesus and most importantly, Jesus himself. Let's stand and pray.